Are you a bit stressed or confused with your love life? Relationships, especially the romantic kind, require more than just hormones and feels to prosper. You know you need advice, support, and effective strategies so you can feel how you want to feel and create the love life you desire. I raise my hand to say, let me assist you with skills, strategies, coaching, and community. Here's what I want you to do. Visit coachjoyce.com and choose whichever love lady package fits you the best to become an official sister of the Match Mary Mate community. You'll have digital resources, video trainings, coaching content, course materials, and even the opportunity to live stream with me with certain packages. If you book between October 31st through December 1st, you can enjoy 60 bucks off every month of group coaching for our Cozy Girl Fall Special. See you there. Greetings, love bugs. Welcome to another episode of the Match Mary Mate Show, where I discuss topics and issues to support Black women with self-love, femininity and womanhood, and their own personal love lives. I'm your host, your girl, Joyce Robinson Myers, and you're listening to the fourth and final episode of our first marriage prep miniseries. There is a lot to say about marriage prep, the institution of marriage, and the act of being married. So I'm sure I'll be back in the near future with the second miniseries on the topic. But for now, let's enjoy this final episode together. The title of this episode was scheduled to be Traditional and Modern Marriages. And while I do include notions of them, I decided to go in a different direction with this based on your questions and feedback, but also a set of awakenings that came together for me as I navigated my research, this show, and my personal life. So I've renamed this show as Marriage as a cultural norm. While I have you, I want to tell you about two things. One, I'm taking a short but much needed two-week production break after this show. I just finished my semester and I need the downtime without having to write or be on a schedule. The next show will be released on December 31st. It's a wrapped episode where a client friend and I review some unforgettable moments and stories in Black culture around womanhood, dating, relationships, and marriage. Two, season three will start the new year off on Friday, January 5th, 2024. The season is titled Experiences. I've curated seven special stories about dating, relationships, and marriage to teach you more about personal power, what it looks like, how to employ it, and a greater sense of self. This episode is for Black people in general, and especially Black couples and parents, and it will not have an affirmation or journal segment. Welcome back. I am discussing my latest phenomenon with you. But toward the end of the show, I've selected three questions we have received since the debut of this marriage miniseries to answer for you. There are others and I'll respond to them later and as I go. Marriage as a cultural norm. 
or even as a requirement. It's an idea that has revisited me time and again, and more so now as a social scientist studying dating, relationships, marriage, and family. Right now, I'm not saying that it should be, but just curious about what it could look like if it were. But something unexpected emerged for me in the past few months as I scoured research literature to write my latest research project on education, economics, and marriageability, produced this very marriage mini-series, taking in all your feedback and questions, revisiting this book titled The Making of Biblical Womanhood, and finally, traveling to the Caribbean. I went to Curacao to celebrate a wedding, but I also used it as an opportunity to conduct some soft research about norms around dating, relationships, marriage, and family. Those four events happened so closely together, and in the interconnectedness of it, marriage as a cultural norm returned to me again. I invite you to take the journey through those four pivotal events with me. In today's show, I desire to help heal how Black women and men relate to each other, especially in dating relationships and marriage and family. Because I am discussing an emergent event, this episode is food for thought. I will likely say something that applies to you or someone you care about. Chew on it. Decide where you land and do what you can about it. I'm earning my PhD in this work to be in the best position to support my community. Also, studies show that with proper relationship education, we can produce smarter, safer, and happier romantic decisions that improves the quality of our relationships and families as we match, marry, and mate. And I would probably also include economic decisions. So see, this thing is developing for me too. But we're doing that because why, y'all? Black love matters. And we're in much need of some Black family restoration. One of my favorite things about research work and self-work is the occurrence of emergence. It's not research or self-work in and of itself that causes emergence to be true, but the fact that it requires constant, iterative study and discovery of human beings, the way we think, behave, and interact. Study human behavior long enough and across a variety of mediums, natural emergence occurs. Now, if you're a friend or a client of mine, you know how much I value these processes as an individual with reflection, intention, and monitoring. Well, as a researcher, the work is incredibly similar. So again, these four events, my research project, this mini-series, a book, and conversations born in my recent travels, all collided into each other at the same time and in the most interesting way. That collision resulted in what I am calling marriage as a cultural norm for now. This podcast is mostly for you. But the part that belongs to me is a vehicle by which I record and track my research thoughts and development. I'm bringing you along with me in case you're interested. This episode will serve us both. It'll teach you and poke your brain while it gives me thinking space that I can safe keep for my own record. 
Let's get into these four events. The first, my latest research project. As I combed through research literature, I noticed that a number of Black scholars promoted marriage, but they included insights about how Black people should or do navigate it as a unique group. They advocated for more variety within it, largely meaning creating space beyond Western or Christian or traditional patriarchy, and suggested distinct ways that Black people, as mostly descendants of West African cultures, form relationships, kinship groups, and family systems. Yes, they recommended something different in addition to what exists, but still promoted marriage. And when I say different from what exists, I mean here in America. Not one Black scholar dismissed this idea as an option for consenting adults to choose should they desire it. While they all argued for certain structures, rights, protections, and roles within marriage, it was still supported. When I specifically examined Black marriage, it mattered to Black people across the board. Though there was that one group, highly successful Black men, who often delayed or denied it. I'll be sharing my latest research project across three episodes in the new year, so we'll get into this more then. I walked away with a message that marriage is a good thing. Maybe even marriage is a necessary thing. Maybe not for all, but for most. Provided that we're all protected and respected and that it is good for Black people too, even if we need to resist some historical practices and seek other ways to create family and wealth beyond the traditional marital forms. Now, I think what I'm about to say goes without saying, but I need to add it for the record anyway. I am not speaking against single parents, mainly single moms who dominate that group. I am not speaking against the empowerment of women in any way, but especially in education, economics, and marriage. I am not bashing men. In fact, you'll see in my first research episode coming in January 24 that I advocate for them fiercely. I am never, ever, ever suggesting marriage at the expense of women and children, especially their safety and mobility. In fact, women and children being able to have safe spaces from dangerous, violent, or threatening men is the number one reason I believe in divorce. Also, studies show that while there are enormous benefits and gains for children raised by two parents, those benefits do not outweigh the harm inherited when a married mother has to suffer a quote-unquote bad husband, or when children have to suffer a quote-unquote bad father. I want to address some groups by name before we continue. If you are a single mother or were raised by one, you need to bear no shame. My work is in an effort to restore and reunite our community, not to cause harm or play the blame game. In fact, The more we play the blame game, and y'all know we do, the more difficult it becomes to come together. 
but I do need you to take responsibility here, not to hurt you, but to help you. Your epiphanies and lessons learned can help younger and future generations. To be clear, this research is less about highly paid or wealthy women, Black or otherwise, who decide on motherhood alone. So I'm not really talking about that group. I also want to say, I'm sure you're doing your best. You are seen, valued, and loved. Many single moms use the words difficult or impossible when describing their motherhood journey. So I know you're working through a lot to show up every day. Thank you for what you do. If you are a single father, I see you. I know you're a small fish in the single parenthood pond and are often overlooked, but I see you. I just recently received news that a Black father I was supporting, you know, given a little strategic and spiritual advice filled with encouragement and prayers on gaining custodial rights for his son was awarded his custody. He will now have direct access to his son. And in this case, will have to do much of it removed from his mother. Now, not the removing of the mother part, but the presence of the father part. That's important because boys suffer more negative educational and economic outcomes when their fathers are not in the homes and also not in their lives. I'm going to dive a little bit more into that in January 2024. We do not always like to admit it, but a Black son often, not always, holds a greater likelihood of positive outcomes with his father or a father figure. So thank you for showing up and please continue doing so. If you are an absent father, and for this show, I'm combining all absent fathers regardless of reason or intent. We needed you. Your children needed you. The women who mothered them needed you and your community needed you to show up for them. I'm sure you have to know that, but I needed to tell you anyway. If you can make this right, please do so. But forgive yourself too. Your absence causes your daughters a heavy load with her identity and internalizations. And it costs your sons an extreme bout of anger that manifests in very damaging ways. I wish we could just agree as a community that not caring for our own children is not something we are willing to do. I know there are historical and systemic reasons for some of these absences too, and that's not all on you, and we'll uncover that more later too. Next and second, this book, (laughs) because all of that caused me to revisit The Making of Biblical Womanhood by Beth Allison Barr. And the reason that I wanted to revisit it is because the number of Black scholars who were saying it's not marriage necessarily is that we need to widen the lens. It needs to not be so traditionally viewed, seeped in patriarchy or even in Christian values, not to eliminate Christian values for people who want to do that, but not to have it projected upon all of what it means to be married. And so that made me go, oh my gosh, I remember the making of biblical womanhood. I wanted to return to it with that Black marriage research still stemming around in my mind. 
Now, this is a text written by a white Christian woman who challenges Western and Christian patriarchal views, particularly the evangelical views of the modern church. Now, specifically, she identifies the turning points where patriarchy and marriage or patriarchy in marriage quote unquote, went bad for women. And she does that citing church history events and Christian women specifically. But as we know, with colonization and slavery, it's much more widespread than just inside of the church or church history altogether. Reading this book, rereading this book, I mean, both times, (laughs) as a woman, This part is so uncomfortable. I mean, there are other parts that are uncomfortable, but that idea is just very uncomfortable as a woman. I think all women, especially if they have any connection with Christendom, will be like, ouch, dang, and ouch. As a Black woman, I resist the traditional Western and Christian patriarchy as a model and structure for any marriage that I would enter into. But I also understand many of my Black Christian sisters could never bring themselves to separate from it. And for some, not even in part. Because I serve Black women of varying faiths, I leave space for us all. But even as a white woman, this author touches on racism, saying the same forces that uphold patriarchy and misogyny against women in Christianity, and thus also in Christian marriages, also upholds racism against Black people. She goes down more of a rabbit hole than I care to, but her points are well-made and she fires painful shots. Not on purpose. She's not aiming to be painful. The history just is. Interestingly, she rejects male headship and leadership. And I do too, but only to a certain extent. She does altogether, going much further than I would. Circling back to the Black scholars I cited in my recently written literature review, most of what they recommended to be removed from or modified within marriage were these very ideas. Ideas of male superiority, male headship, and male leadership. Feel how you want to feel about it. There's something about those things that makes marriage difficult and challenging, especially for women, and even more so for Black women. I mean, you just say the word submission and you can watch a group of Black women wince. And we all know why. Mostly for good reasons. Mostly for historically sound reasons. Still, Barr did not say that marriage was not good. In fact, she's a married woman and wrote that book while she challenged the very truths and ideals that her husband subscribed to and benefited from. And she mentions it throughout the book. Further, Barr demonstrated how lots of ideals that are associated with the Bible are not even biblical. And the ones that are associated with church or church doctrine misrepresents either God or Jesus or Paul passage pending in various ways. Marriage may need a reboot for a modern world. And I would even say 
It needs a reboot for the Black American community too. But it does not appear that discarding it is the answer or that that is even what the American people want or even Black people. So when I study marriage, I study it as an American phenomenon representing this this nation for the most part. And then I zoom in on what it looks like when it comes to the Black community. I don't situate myself only in America, but that's largely where I kind of rest my research hat. Of course, I do study what it looks like in other places and with other groups. So in my opinion, marriage needs a paradigm shift. Yes, for Americans at large, and certainly for Black Americans too. While I am interested in the social situations of humanity, I'm gonna lead that charge with my people. Yes, because I care about my stock of people, but for now, and perhaps in all of my lifetime, as it can be predetermined, we are in the most need. So I can't take my eyes off of us. So let's have a quick chat about some predictions made about the state of the family, and in this case, the Black family, when men failed to operate in a quote-unquote certain order with their women, mainly as husbands and wives, and when women would be more occupied with self versus family. That's not to say that certain women belonging to a given community should not choose self over having a family, but that if too many men are not in quote-unquote order, and too many women are more self-centered than family-focused, our community would pay damaging costs and reap even more damaging dividends. The part that unsettles me is that this message is usually promoted as a way to get women back under the headship or even the hierarchy of men. And I'm not sure that's the best angle to take either at all or just for now. But it would be helpful if we could view this family-focused and this men in a certain, I would say position over order, but position. It would be helpful if we can view that without notions of hierarchy and headship. Now, if you need that, I'm not saying don't add it back in, but just, you know, let's zoom out for a minute. Where Barr and I agree is in hierarchical ideas. I know there are Pauline letters if we're going to lean back into Christianity or the church history that speaks to hierarchy. But what's written on the pages isn't exactly the original intent Barr says, and I also know that to be true, and she can explain that to you in her book more if you're interested. Something in my spirit tells me that it's not so much about male headship or hierarchy or male order, but just a natural order of being female and male as wives and husbands and mothers and fathers together. I think this matters less for marriages who plan on being child-free, but for marriages when wives become mothers and husbands become fathers, 
or it is inherited in the blending of families, it matters more. Women need time, space, support, resources, and means to birth children, and even more so to rear them. At minimum, research informs us that children need financial and emotional assets to thrive. In most cases, without access to both parents at the same time, these assets turn into debts. I'm not sure that husbands need to be heads and wives need to be homemakers to pull this off. But what is glaringly obvious in the research literature is that both parents are required for the greatest likelihood. Like it or not, there is some order and structure in this reality because women cannot be men and men cannot be women and husbands cannot birth babies and mothers cannot do it alone without a grave sacrifice to be paid. And usually the children are that living sacrifice. It's a biological and familial phenomenon that we cannot get around, but in and of itself does not necessarily translate to headship and hierarchy. Now, again, if you just want your marriage designed that way, I think that's your business, but I'm not sure that it should be the national or even religious or community-wide messaging. And that brings me to producing this mini-series. But love bugs, I need to take a small break and since you have time, go download that episode guide before we return, where I'm going to go over the other two events and then answer some of your questions. Where are my private girlies at? I know sometimes you have sensitive details you need to share as it relates to your love life or just who you are as a woman. I get it and want to make space for you. We all need a little TLC and one-on-one -on -one from time to time. And if you book between October 31st through December 1st, you can enjoy 40% off your call for our Cozy Girl Fall Special. It's super easy to book a private call with me. Just visit matchmarymate.com, click work with me, and book your individual call so we can connect real soon. Welcome back. Okay, we're picking up with the third event, which was this marriage mini-series on this podcast. In the first episode, I challenged the so-called innate protect and provide characteristics of males and men. My husband, speaking as a man about the male experience, interjected by clarifying that it is more accurate to say that men are innate builders. And what they build, they seek to protect and provide for it. However, what they are motivated to build is heavily determined by their familial and societal messaging. If you downloaded the Marital Submission Episode Guide, refer to the Provision and Protection page and ask yourself those questions. 
especially in light of this episode. If you purchased the paid version of the Marital Submission Episode Guide, review the Message Builder Legacy pages and make more connections. You should be able to after this episode. As I was writing my research literature review, I was paired with a peer review partner who was a South Indian woman whose culture is dominated by marriage. We made jokes about the difference in those messages from her community and mine and laughed at how auntie on Indian Matchmaker is a present reality for her and hoped for one, at least in part, for me and my community. And we each expressed our main gripe. For her, it was the belief that because a man had a good job, i.e. was a good provider, it equated to him being a good person. She found that flawed and did not want to marry under that pretext. For me, it was the fact that girls and women are sold one message, purity, chastity, virginity, womanliness, marriage, wifehood, but also grades, books, studies, college, degrees. While boys and men are sold either the exact opposite or nothing comparable at all. As we age into adulthood, the women are educated and degreed, but also desiring marriage and family, while men value neither, or at least not to the same degree. One author in my research called this the rift between Black women and men. She responded with how imbalanced it was informing me that both boys and girls learn how important marriage and family are and in adulthood that they aspire to it. I mouthed and I know, shaking my head in pain and shame. <laughs> how did we get here? This is more than structural racism, though I'd be the first to call it out. We can actually control the messages we give to our sons even when racist systemic forces limit their population and or marriage pool. We can never forget slavery and racial discrimination, if I have something to do with it at least, but we do raise our own children and something is off here. Marriage as a cultural norm. Hmm, this appears to be so in the majority of cultures around the world. And it also appears that way because both genders understand it as so, and it happens. I cannot tell you how many conversations I have with non-Americans about marriage and whether I'm speaking to a man or a woman or even a male youth or female youth. The messaging is similar on both ends in terms of marriage being an important ideal or norm to aspire to. In some cultures, you're not just aspiring, you're going to do it. <laughs> marriage is a legacy that they must act upon. So before I add the fourth piece, here's what I'm working with. Marriage is good as long as all parties are protected and respected, even if it needs restructuring and reworking both for our modern world and specifically for Black people. Black people still desire marriage, even if successful Black men opt out. 
Male hierarchy and headship isn't required for the masses, but it can be reserved for those who want it. There is some order, not male order, but there is some natural order in women and men uniting as wives and husbands, and then also as mothers and fathers. Men may not be innate providers and protectors, but are natural builders who seek to provide and protect what they have built. Familial and societal messages are strong influences of what and how men will build, but also strong influences for how people value things in adulthood, in this case, namely marriage and family. And then last but not least, largely the familial and social messages are misaligned in how the Black community delivers them to girls and boys. Now, that's a lot as a Black person. Just by way of being born in a racist, but also Christian nation, and the many, many layers included, we've inherited quite the weight. Many Black nations have been colonized and have a history of enslavement, so that's not wholly unique. What's differentiating is that African Americans, specifically and in particular, have less marriage occurrences and more marital instability, the marriages that remain and the ones that dissolve. Again, while we can point to racism and slavery as the main culprit, it's not the only one. African and Caribbean nations have a similar history, though I am well aware that Black Americans, like our experience with white people has occurred much differently. So it's not just that either. And there's a little nuance, but still it's not just racism and slavery. So I make it a point to ask Caribbeans, not Americanized Caribbeans, though sometimes I include them, but I make it a point to actually ask non-Americanized Black people. And in this case, I went to the Caribbean recently, so that's what I did about their messaging and perspectives on gender norms, marriage, and family. I wanna shout out my seatmate. <laughs> I was boarding a plane from Atlanta to DC. I just so happened to have a seatmate who was a black man, an elder black man who had um, experience in education, his career was in education, and he gave me this nugget. He said, hey, you should study Caribbean marriages you should find your golden egg. There is a difference and there is distinction in not just marriage occurrences, but also the stability. Now the Caribbean has some unique nuance too. <laughs> I can hear the Caribbean women going, child, <laughs> in my head. So I am not romanticizing it. I am just saying that in my travels, I ask questions to note distinctions to get to the golden egg that my seatmate, also fellow <laughs> educator, told me to do. So fourth and last, when I traveled to the Caribbean, this most recent trip, I went to Curacao, I did just that. And a lot did begin to click into place for me. Now, I want to save that for another show and give myself more opportunity to ask even more Caribbeans with other travel that I have upcoming. But for now, there is some importance in ensuring that boys and girls receive the same messages about what is to be valued in adulthood. 
marriage as a cultural norm. To circle back to the predictions I mentioned, let's review them. Now, note here, these predictions use hierarchical terminology, but I am excusing it for now because I know what is meant by it. And I think that natural order and structure I shared previously is what is mostly being identified. Number one, mothers as heads of households will cause men to lose interest in family. Yeah, this one hurt. <laughs> this one hurt because we feel it today, right? Now, some will say that one goal of family, at least for men, is to extend his name. And so this thought continues with, if men have no guarantee of survival through their name, why would a man bother with family anyway? This is where a little hints of patriarchy are embedded in our culture in a way that I don't think is damaging. So when I look at patriarchy, I'm like, well, all the damaging stuff, yeah, throw that away. But like, is it all? Because we have a tendency, I don't know, as people or maybe as Americans to throw away the baby with the bathwater. But I do see positive ways that even women view little tents <laughs> of patriarchy and, and they're okay with it and it's positive. For example, I just recently read Kerry Washington's memoir and at the end, and y'all, we're going to do a whole episode about this too. But at the end, she talks about naming an identity and how she attached her husband's last name to her full name not wanting to replace it or erase it. And she even divided the name up and said, her first name is for her mama. That's the woman who blessed her with that name. And her maiden surname is for her daddy. And her married surname is for her husband, but that her middle name was for her. That was positive. She had a positive spin on it. She wanted to have some record some memorialization of her father's name as a part of her identity, both now in her declaration of it in her life, but also in her death and in records when her descendants and others will go to study her life. So when I see things like that, I'm like, well, do you throw the whole thing away? I'm not sure. But also this idea as when mothers head households, men will lose interest in family. The second idea under that is if men have no guarantee of survival through their name, why would a man bother with family anyway? Okay, I guess for the men who that is important to, and it tends to be important for a lot of men. So I understand how it ended up being a subset of that original predictive thought. But one could also say, I mean, you could just have daughters. Men have no guarantee in their posterity that they would have a son. So then what? But I understand daughters will take on that. I don't want to replace my daddy, whether they have brothers or not, but especially when they don't. So, you know, I get it. I'm going to lay the naming and survival to the side and just focus on the loss of male interest in family with mothers as heads right now. 
it's an uncomfortable notion to grapple with because at least as it stands today, it has some standing (laughs) and it is a little, it's like, ouch, right? Currently, our state of affairs in the Black community, and yes, you can find examples where this is not the case, but y'all gonna know what I'm talking about when I say this. Black men are more disinterested and Black women who want to marry, particularly who want to marry Black men, are paying the price. We could also say they are more disinterested due to mismatched messaging. So more discovery is needed there too. And I'm going to listen. I have a few research projects ahead of me in getting this PhD. I am going to make that one of them. Second prediction. As a result, another prediction is that the indulgences and benefits that men desire by being with a woman will occur without marital or family commitment. I want to punch the air like yikes. This one hurts because one distinction I'm learning about from my Caribbean brothers and sisters is this idea of commitment. Again, at least as it stands today, this also has some standing. Now, Caribbean women, I know you sit in there like, what? What did they say? Because I got some stories about what their commitment looks like. I know, I know, I know, but I'm not talking about in that vein. Again, another episode, another episode. But... There is this thing, I mean, we know it socially, right? The power play, that men hold more power when it comes to choosing the partner. That is universal, but particularly Black men, because it is way less of them. So that prediction does have a little bit of standing, too. Another prediction says that if society fundamentally changes to the role of women fending for the household and not nurturing life that women will be occupied with survival and that having someone to help them care for children may wane. So those are three predictions and their subsets. Food for thought, y'all. Chew on that, right? Not just on an individual level, but community-wide and throughout our nation. If you're raising Black children, maybe something inspired you. I hope I touched just enough of traditionalism, often understood as patriarchy, and modern practices for you to consider your own views. Since I originally said this episode was going to be on traditional and modern marriage, but this emergence that I experienced made me want to talk about these topics. But I, again, tried to include enough of both so you feel like you still got a good deal. Now, let's transition to questions. Again, I selected three. Question one, I need clarity on the three marital structures you listed in the marital submission episode guide. When I read the pastoral patriarchy, it sounded like what I want. And then I read partnership marriage and had some appeal to. I don't see men and women as equal And I want to be led, but heard. How do I properly divide the two? See, this and this was a Black woman who sent this to me. And she's saying, I want to be led. So there is some, even coming from women, there is some headship or 
patriarchy, you could use a few words that they desire and they seem to want to desire it, right? Like in this positive way. So we got to figure out how to get there. I don't think dismissing it and telling her just don't want that is the answer. I also don't think men leading in like oppression in bad ways is the answer either. So again, my answer to her question is the three structures that she's referring to is pastoral patriarchy, Western or Christian patriarchy, and partnership. Now, pastoral patriarchy assumes that you are heard. Remember the story that I told about Abraham and Sarah? Like that. You don't need to borrow from partnership marriage for that to be true. One of the things that has tripped Black American women up is our historical background. We have confused Western and Christian patriarchy with the biblical or the pastoral patriarchy. I would encourage you and other women to hold certain conversations with Black American men to weed through that. The reason that I separated the Old Testament and the New Testament is because when I think of Western and Christian patriarchy, we are largely talking about what is preached and encouraged from the New Testament scriptures. When people say biblical, they are usually targeting New Testament scriptures and faith when we're talking about marriage and patriarchy and submission, those type of things. This is something that Black American Christian women need to contend with. I would also add African Christian women in this regard because the topic on the table is submission. And that's where it gets a little wonky. Again, I separate the two because you're not going to find written proclamations for female submission in the Old Testament. If you're dating a man who is a Christian, where you know you want to marry a man who is a Christian, that is one of the first things that you want to be able to sift through. In most cases, most American Black Christians prioritize the New Testament and they view it as their authority. As Americans, many people adopt a certain level of Christian and Western principles, even if they're not practicing Christianity. And submission is one of them. You can, in this country, you can actually have a Black man telling you about the ways he subscribes to female submission without even attending church or reading the Bible. Female submission, to a degree, is part of American culture, too. So now you must ask, what authority do you have to be asking for submission? If you're a Black woman speaking to a Black man, I mean, if you are a Christian and most of your faith is operating with the New Testament, well, you got a lot of authority traditionally. Now you let Barr tell it and she challenges all notions of hierarchy. But Western and Christian patriarchy would demand that you submit. And usually with it comes, you know, little trickles and traces of oppression that will naturally be part of it if you and him don't do the work to shake that bag together and loosen what you do not want to perpetuate. A lot of modern marriages operate with a degree of partnership. It is societal, right? It comes with the modern lifestyle. What is not assumed in partnership is a unified marital formation and structure in which you both hold as authority. And that's the conversational journey you want to have with men to make sure you're on the same page or understand where you're not. Question number two, can you speak more on male leadership and stewardship? Now, based on who asked this, I can assume the direction <laughs> that she wants me to go in. So let's do it. In that pastoral patriarchy model, 
that I shared in the episode guide. What was it? Marital submission. It is understood that leadership and stewardship go together. Now, see, that's another reason why I separated it for you all, because (laughs) the New Testament does not scream that leadership and stewardship go together. But it does go together if you want to understand that biblically. So it is not just the husband's duty to lead or make the decision, though in this structure he would. It is his duty to make sure you are well. You are in his stewardship. He leads in the direction of his stewardship. Will you find married Christian men who operate like this in their marriage with their wives? Yes. Will you find single Christian men, Black men in particular, who desire this in their marriage to be? Yes. But I am saying, do not assume that it will be like that because the New Testament and church history and Christendom at large, at least as you pair it with the history we have experienced in this country as our as Black people, it could have notions and traces of oppression that the man is wanting to wield and the woman would be subject to if you don't shake the bag. Just shake the bag and have the conversations together. And don't assume I'm Black American Christian, he's Black American Christian, and that means the exact same thing. And we automatically understand how we want to navigate together as husband and wife in marriage. That's all I'm saying. Now, using pastoral language here, it's just not good enough to say that you own the field. It's not good enough to say that you have seeds in the storehouse. What matters is the quality. What is the yield? A portion, in fact, the best would be offered to the most high. So that leans into what does he submit to? Remember, Jeremiah has posed that question at least two or three times on this podcast. And the rest is how a man would sustain his household. It's the idea that if I'm speaking in the point of view of a man, everything in my house, what I grow, produce, my wife or my wives, my children, my livestock, etc., has the highest quality because I must be able to deliver such quality to the most high and have it approved. What does it say about a man? a husband, a father, if his wife refuses him, his children does not listen to him, or even worse, he's lazy. So in his submission to the Most High, he should be concerned with the highest quality he has to give. And when that's his mindset, he cares for it better. He is a better steward. That idea is seeped in Old Testament stories and culture and understanding. It is not seeped in New Testament culture, stories and understandings. And so that is why I separated it and why I'm telling you, have the conversations and be careful. Question three, you spoke about domains in the first episode of the mini series, and I wanted to understand the domains you're referring to and how they fit into these different forms. Oh, this is a really good question. And I didn't realize that 
that was confusing. So I'm very, very, very happy that you asked and very, very happy to clean it up. So I usually use the words category, bucket, and domain interchangeably. If you refer to your relationship plan from the Match Mary Mate course, because I know who you are when you ask this question, I am referring to those same 12 relationship categories where you have to talk about how you will set it up and decide how you both are going to exist in them for unity and oneness, to flow, to have relationship, and then ultimately to flow as one, right? The person who asked this question is a Match Mary Made client, and she's also obviously taken the course. So I am simply leading her back to her course materials to increase her understanding, but I'm not going to share the 12 areas on this show. Let's close with a small excerpt that I want to read from this book called Marriage in Black. It documents research of married couples, both Black American and Caribbean. The family is a social institution existing primarily to support intimate interpersonal relationships, protect the welfare of children, ensure human production, and assimilate its citizens to all other social institutions. While there has been much debate about what is considered a legitimate family form, it is the general consensus that family is the bedrock of society and marriage is the bedrock of family. Nonetheless, marriage, the institution of marriage, like all other institutions, is elastic and ever evolving. And as a result, the experience and perception of marriage differs in a number of ways across ethnic lines. A central objective of this text is to highlight that this variation is true even among African-Americans. Now, I look forward to your feedback. I know y'all have things to say. So that's it. And that's all. Do not forget to download your Marriage as a Cultural Norm episode guide. If you're already on the Match Mary Mate subs list, it is in your inbox. To join, click the link in the show notes. This concludes our first marriage miniseries, but we shall be back for more. Next up is our 2023 wrapped episode where me and a client friend are given our opinionated takes. But if you know me, I'll also have some research facts on the major stories about womanhood, dating, and relationships, marriage and family, and the Black community. If you want to share some topics you'd like to hear on this show, please use the comments feature on this episode or shoot me an email at podcast at matchmarrymate.com. For now, I leave you with this quote from the same authors in Marriage in Black. The desire of Black men and women to form marital unions has been very strong throughout American history. Thank you for joining me today and tuning into another episode of the Match Mary Mate Show. Until our next time together, love, light, and relationship. Remember, we grow as we go, and I'll be with you in the next episode. Cheers. Are you looking to get your love life together? You're tired of not having the tools or community you need to navigate these dating and relationship streets. 
Well, honey, let's take some accountability, do our work and be in the place to reap all the benefits. I invite you to become a Love Lady member and officially join the Match Mary Mate community. You can choose your specific dating and relationship package to work with me. You'll have access to digital resources, video trainings, coaching content, course materials, and even the opportunity to live stream with me with certain packages. If this sounds like something you want, be sure to join today because I'd love to have you. Visit coachjoyce.com to get started. I want to see your face in the place.